welcome to Ideas to Impact, brought to you by Eastern AHSN, part of the National AHSN Network. Our purpose is to turn great ideas into positive health impact, and in this podcast series, we're going to be talking to people who support us in this goal from right across the health and care innovation ecosystem. My name is Piers Ricketts. I'm the Chief Executive at Eastern AHSN, and in this episode, we're going to explore why 5G technology provides a timely opportunity for health and social care providers to accelerate innovative new models of service provision designed to improve the quality of life for patients and support the workforce in their endeavours. And I'm delighted to be able to welcome two guests who have been supporting the successful adoption and scaling up of 5G technology across health and social care. So first up, we've got Tony Scales, Tony is Head of Programme Development of the 5G Programme at the Department of Culture, Media and Sport. Tony, along with his team, is responsible for building strong relationships with leading industry players and identifying opportunities to collaborate with government and other participants in delivering economic and societal benefits to the UK. Equally delighted to be joined by Anne Williams. Anne is Commissioning and Contracts Manager of Adult Social Services at Liverpool City Council, And she has played a lead role in securing and delivering the 5G testbed trial for health and social care in Liverpool, known as Liverpool 5G. Welcome both, and thank you so much for joining us. Um, If I can start with Tony, you know, many listeners have heard of 5G, but can you explain how 5G improves public services and why it's so important uh, for the future digital transformation of public services? Sure, let me give it a go. So 5G is a term used to um, to describe the fifth generation of mobile cellular communications. So in other words, the iPhone or the Android phone that you carry around with you is has been connected by um, a variety of generations from 3G, 4G, and now 5G. Roughly every 10 years, the mobile industry reinvents itself um, to create a step change in the in the capacity and the capability of that network to, to support services. So 3G brought us mobile data, uh, 4G brought us the smartphone, and that's sort of really enormous change in the way that we, we connect things together. 5G, um, if you, if you read what it says on the tin, does three key things. The first one is um, to create much higher um, data rates and data capacity. Um, that sort of follows on from 3G and 4G and just getting faster and more data. Um, the second thing is that, that it does that with much less lower latency. So that the, time, the round trip time between um, a device a user or a, or a, a machine uh, requesting a service and, and getting a, a response from the network um, has substantially reduced. And the third thing is the number of those devices, the capacity of the network to connect many more of them. So from a healthcare perspective, that all of those three things are really important um, because um, healthcare today, transformed by COVID um, in terms of its appetite for digital um, acceptance of services and connectivity of patients, um, therefore, the ability to talk to patients um, through video uh, to, to automate the process of getting diagnosis and um, treatment and um, screening to happen online 
Um, all of that makes a huge difference to the amount of the number of devices, the number of services, and the number of things that we need to do at the same time uh, in the same way. But we also want to do it to a much wider audience. I think that there's a, um, there's a view that, in effect, every citizen is a potential client for the NHS or for the care services provided by local authorities. And therefore, everybody needs to be connectable wherever they are. And so we need to be able to do that across our dense urban environments, as well as our more sparsely populated uh, rural environments. And of course, healthcare professionals move around. Um, they, they, they move from um, building to building, but they also come to visit patients everywhere as well. Uh, and of course, ambulances, logistics for the healthcare services all need to move around and be connected as they do it. Um, I think that's it in a nutshell. Thank you, Tony. That's great. So more people connected through more devices, transmitting more data, and it enabled to be read wherever uh, our healthcare workers are and wherever our citizens are. So that, that's fantastic. So moving on to Anne then, uh, Liverpool 5G is something of a poster child for um, the use of this technology to, you know, in the real world and with, with real people in a real city. Can you tell us um, what drove you to set this up, uh, you know, why you did that and what your role was? Yeah, um, I, um, I am responsible for commissioning telecare services in adult social services. And um, when I became aware that the analog lines were going to be switched off in 2025, alarm bells raised because um, the actual cost of the SIM cards that's required for the new digital stuff uh, was actually going to become prohibitive. And we recognised the benefits of telecare um, and telehealth in terms of um, helping to keep people living independent longer in their own homes. And also we were aware that we were heading towards, well, we realised that we were losing staff. This was sort of a couple of years ago now, but we realised that the, the pool of staff wanting to become carers um, was declining quite rapidly. So there were fewer and fewer people applying to become carers. So we were looking to see how we could help support providing a service for people that maybe some of the um, some of the uh, transactions, if you like, but some of the contacts could actually be done digitally rather than actually have people there. And obviously we, um, so we started to look at different things. And I got some money from Europe to build up some LoRaWAN network uh, gateways. And we tried some LoRaWAN technology across the city because I thought that would be cheaper and that would be uh, a newer way of delivering the services. However, I wasn't quite aware that the data packages that can go across LoRaWAN are not big enough to carry voice. And so we ended up with a scenario where we had a gentleman who fell, pressed the button, and the, the whole system worked really well. But he was lying on the floor and he couldn't access his phone, which was ringing, which was the help to say, are you all right? And um, he, thankfully, we were able to raise his uh, his daughter and his daughter got there very quickly and it wasn't a very serious fall and he didn't need hospitalization but his conversation with me following that um has stayed with me and he made it very clear that there is nothing worse than lying on the floor listening to a phone ringing knowing that that's help and you can't get to it so it then sort of sent me on a quest to try and find some other cheaper way of being able to provide telecare uh, but isn't relied on as paying for every item of data and um, that, that quest happened to come at the same time as the uh, DCMS programme for testbed and trials. So with a consortium in Liverpool of um, two, the two local universities, University of Liverpool and John Moore University, 
and a group of SMEs, we put together a bid to run the first health and social care um, programme, test bed and trials, which we did. And we were lucky enough to get, which we did in the first phase, we just had Wi-Fi. But this second phase we've now, which is the 5G Create, we're now, we're now putting on um, cellular nodes as well. So we can have our own SIM cards for our district nurses or whatever. And the data costs, um, we, we, obviously we don't charge data costs. It's just the cost of the, I think the SIM cards themselves cost about 50p. But then there's the management costs of the, of the network, which will be considerably cheaper than the actual data costs through a traditional uh, NHS contract with a mobile phone company. So that's that's really where where we're at now, and it, and it has it, you know it is a lot of work that's taken place. And I I'll be honest, I'm not really from a very technical background. I've learned quickly, but um, I uh, had no idea exactly how cutting edge what we were doing was. You know, we're we're learning along the way, but we we have got a lot of valuable lessons. And I think the 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 particular crisis of COVID strengthened our argument in terms of um, the need to get you know to be able to offer people remote consultations the ability to to offer whether that's for your gp or whether it's a welfare check from a carer to make sure you're okay medication prompts remotely there's a whole range of things which normally had happened with somebody going into someone's house which we we were able to do remotely and i think also we've also noticed that the, there's a real need for education and i think the poverty aspect and the digital divide is something that we were always very strong about. Uh, Tony would uh, give testament to that, but we're, the actual um, situation that we find ourselves in now and the recent announcements with regard to the cost of living and the fuel costs that's going to have a huge impact on the communities that we're working with. Um, the, the idea of being able to pay for your rent, your uh, you know heating bills, all the other bills you've got, the increased rate, and then a broadband contract on top of that. Many households just can't afford it, and they're increasingly not going to be able to afford it. So then if you exclude them from all of the digital services that are required, you're limiting the health and social care and education opportunities for those people. So that's yeah. what we're trying to address. Thank you. I'm going to bring Tony in, uh, but come back to Tony. But just a couple of things struck me there. But we're going to come back to this theme of digital exclusion, I think, and you know, financial circumstances and how often the people who are least well off in, in life economically are also the people who have um, you know, the most health conditions. But also struck by the motivator for this, as so often was a personal story. You know, it was a, um, a patient who had, you know, the tech, the monitoring system in place, but actually in him not being able to communicate, you know, hearing the phone ring, but not being able to, to answer it, uh, that spurred you on to, uh, you know, to, to doing more. And I think possibly, like many things, if um, you'd known how cutting edge this was, you might not have had the courage to, um, <laughs> you know, to go for it. But Tony, I think you um, you wanted to come in. Yeah, I think, I think one of the really interesting things about what Anne was saying about this the ability to democratise access to this technology. Um, I think a lot of people would would assume that 5G, because it's the, a, a newer version of the technology, would naturally be more expensive than its predecessors. And I think that the truth is, um, with the way that the um, the government has worked to with with Ofcom to democratise access to Spectrum, um, means that it's possible for organisations like um, you know, local councils and cities and places to operate their own networks 
in a way that wasn't possible before. Um, so local access licensing, shared access licensing, means that it's possible for a social cause um, uh, or a social be um, benefit to be the real motivator behind putting technology out there, as opposed to a just a pure commercial driver. That's not to say that the commercial networks don't play an enormously important role in it, because it, it's clear that a, a, a care pathway for a particular health condition um, will, will transit lots of geographies. So if you have diabetes, for instance, you, you, might, you might have a certain part of your treatment or diagnosis or, or screening that happens when you're in a clinic or in a hospital, and another bit that happens when you're on the move, and another bit when you happens when you're at home. So it, it's important that we, we recognise that as we move from one place to another, we move from a Wi-Fi connection to a 5G, 4G connection to a um, to a fixed connection sometimes. And so it will depend. Um, so, so the service needs to be aware to so that it can move between those environments and still deliver the right data, the right the right um, application, the right service, wherever that person happens to be, and do it securely and reliably. And those are the key things that I think we really need to think about in our future service design. Yeah, thanks, Tony. And Anne, can I ask you, you know, Tony's very sort of eloquent about how this links to social benefits and, you know, the benefits of people who, you know, linking back to what uh, to what Anne said about uh, the current cost of living crisis and so on. Um, presumably, then, um, patients and citizens who access the, the remote services that you're providing, they don't need to pay anything more than the cost of their mobile phone contract. Is that is that right? Well, it, they don't have any contract with us. Um, what we do mm. is actually uh, we go we 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 configure um, devices to our network, and then they receive our devices. Right. So we're not giving them free five G. What we're doing is providing access for them for health and social care um, with an actual device. We are giving we are going to start giving children um, Chromebooks that again are configured to our network. Our network is. Um, uh, a network of networks, so it includes LoRaWAN. I haven't given up on LoRaWAN, so it mm. does still include LoRaWAN, but it also includes Wi-Fi as well as the cellular. So we're providing the children um, with a with a Chromebook, and we're very much putting on filters, etc., to keep them safe. Um, I don't think it's going to be very popular when they fully realise that they're not going to have access to social media. Mm. But we're working with a primary school, and the social media um, age limits are uh, nobody under 13. You've got to be 13. So, 13, so obviously we're not going yes. to give the primary school children access to those. So we're 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 building in. So it, we're not giving free Wi-Fi to everybody in Liverpool. I want to make that very clear. What we're offering is very targeted yeah. um, services that are for um, the social good, if you like, but are, are part of our civic responsibility. And that's, that's sort of how it's emerging yeah. now, is that there is a huge, you know, huge usage that we can get. If we do get a ubiquitous coverage across the city, then we can have the smart uh, ambulances that um, Tony sort of uh, mentioned. We can start to having the very fast MRI scans going to GPs as a matter of course. Um, at the moment, um, it doesn't happen routinely, but it could happen. And if you're not paying for the data that that scan takes to get from A to B, it, it becomes a, you know, something that can happen. Um, yeah. And so I think what we're trying to, you know, 
we want to stress that this is for uh, civic reasons and whether that's traffic control to monitor air quality going forward, picking up and using the lessons from other test beds that are, are trialling those things. Um, some in the council want, are talk, trying to talk to me about autonomous vehicles, but uh, what we're looking at is at the wider view, once we get this in place across, you can then actually use it for all sorts of reasons. But as Tony said, we need to work with the large mobile phone companies as well. It's not to the exclusion of that. We need to work yeah. with them. So we're already moving away from the core sort of health and social care case to you know education. So you've mentioned primary school children having their own Chromebook. But the, the Liverpool offer to these targeted citizens, just to be so that listeners can be completely clear, is uh, a 5G enabled device and able to connect to your network, a device with specific capability. And therefore, the services they receive don't depend at all on, you know, they might not have a smartphone themselves, they might not have uh, broadband. So that's, that's just to summarise, that's the offer that you're, um, you're giving people, yeah? Yeah, there's going to be um, 100,000 virtual ward beds across. That's one of the aspirations now from the new, um, now NHS X are moving into the NHS East. Uh, and so there's going to be the need for a lot of people to have a reliable, as Tony said, we need a reliable connective, uh, you know, fast broadband uh, availability or people able to use these services. And if we get a standard um, device that can be um, configured to our network, and then from as a matter of course, from maybe A&E and from wards, people can be discharged with that monitoring equipment. And they don't have to go home, they don't have to have the skills to identify which network to put in the you know the password or whatever there's none of that they can just go home and a nurse in a and e can show them how they do their you know you put your hat fingers on here and you've got an ecg we do this and you know we'll speak to you through this speaker and all of those things can be done and that's all a person has to do there's not you know it is a dedicated service for that type of device it's fascinating, isn't it? The, the potential is so exciting. And um, just one of the projects we did recently, um, a system called Medic Bleep. Uh, this was at West Suffolk Hospital, which is Bury St Edmunds. And this is designed to replace uh, the pager, which is uh, familiar to all junior doctors and people who have worked in hospitals. You know, next call on Ward 6 on the fifth floor. Uh, somebody goes and you know answers the bleep they're directed. Uh, and so what we, uh, what the innovator introduced was a secure workflow that went to the, the doctor's mobile phone and was linked to GPS showing where he or she was in the hospital. So instead of having to, you know, a bleep and you then had to go and find out where the call was, you potentially have several people answering it, you know, as a workflow that was enabled uh, by GPS, uh, depending on where you were and what you were doing. Um, and the core problem was not adapting or adopting the technology. It was that in many parts of the hospital, the Wi-Fi signal was um, dodgy. Uh, and therefore, there was sort of six to 12 months work of initial um, additional enabling work for the Wi-Fi infrastructure uh, before this could work. So the fact that you're trying to make this as simple as possible uh, for patients and citizens is clearly very. I, th I think we had we had a real success in COVID times with one of our uh, care homes. We had just sort of building on on the same sort of issue. Um, a lot of care homes have got um, broadband, but it was only to the manager's office, so there wasn't really a very good coverage in individuals' rooms. So we put 5G uh, Wi-Fi in the phase one test bed and trial. Um, and in the care home, uh, we, we kept it going, you know, uh, moving it into the 5G Create uh, programme as well. And in the first lockdowns of COVID, when the care homes were really being badly affected, 
they had a very low rate of COVID in their care home. And they felt that was because they could keep people in their rooms a lot happier. So they were able to use tablets. And um, so we have data that showed at that, you know, one, I think it was a Thursday afternoon, they were downloading 11 different films into 11 different rooms. So everybody was watching their own film of choice. And wow. there was no dropout. There was no significant dropout in any of them. And, you know, that, that, was, that was seen by the care home owner as being a really wonderful thing. Because normally, he said, yes, they would have all preferred to all be sitting around in the main room, you know, with a bit of company. But that yeah. wasn't happening. So they were able to try and, you know, keep people entertained. And they, they were less mm. trying to get out and go and see what was going on. They were quite happy because they had their own entertainment. That was quite a heartwarming story that people found it very useful to do. But it's that connectivity. Um, and I know I've been working with some speech therapists who want to be able to assess swallowing in older people in care homes. And again, they've tried to do it with 4G phones. Yeah. And the pixelation is too bad to you know, can often be too bad for them to make a proper diagnosis. So they're really um, wanting, in fact, one of them has been working with one of the care homes where we've got it. And she was so blown away by it that she wants it in all of them. And she's quite regularly pesters me to say, well, why haven't we got it in this care home? And why haven't we got it in that care home? Um, so, um, yeah, so and I do know that the professionals are looking forward to having the opportunity to use the, the better quality um, stuff that yeah. we're you know better quality imaging that we can produce yeah tony mm. so a couple, couple of other use cases or uh, cases that we've we've been working with that probably um follow on from Anne's cases there uh, the first one is i'd like to talk about is the eden project indeed um which you probably know of as the um the, the uh, wonderful um biodomes in uh, down in, in cornwall um, just just announced a new one up in the north as well. Um, so they've been working on a, a, an experience which is to take the ability to walk around, virtually walk around the uh, the biodomes and to experience that whole feeling of being in um, in that wonderful environment and bring it to people living in care homes or um, in even at home as well, um, where they normally won't get out very much. Um, so obviously there's, there's, there is a as answer, there's a very rich diet of, um, of films, TV, and so on that you can watch. But this is quite quite a different sort of cultural experience that you can also bring to those kinds of environments. And of course, you can do that to schools as well. Um, so just just as importantly, bringing um, bringing experience of the outside world where travel is sometimes difficult or uh, expensive in carbon or um, or you know, cost terms. You can you can make people's cultural life much richer through it. I think that's very important. Second one is back into the medical world is uh, is the world of capsule endoscopy. So you'll probably be aware that um, the, um, you know, the, the the way that you find out if you've got a problem in with colon cancer is that you know, a, a tube with a camera on it is inserted um, into your body and uh, uh, a um, in either direction, um, and a surgeon, um, a highly paid surgeon who's very expert, spends time in, a, in an operating theatre with you to, to, to um, manage that experience, and looks and then looks at the images as as the camera passes through. So the idea of capsule endoscopy is that you swallow a camera, um, which is a like a pill, um, and you have a you wear a device which monitors 
the progress of that through your body um, and you it exits through the normal route at the bottom um, and your but through the process it captures enormously high resolution um, images all the way through its journey and um, the service that's been designed around that is to use AI artificial intelligence to look at those images and to interpret them and look for uh, polyps and um, growths within the colon uh, to see whether you have anything that needs looking at further. Now that's that's a service that can be delivered by post to you so that you you receive a box with the, the kit in it um, which includes um, a screen to allow you to interact with a with a, um, a professional who can talk you through the preparation process. Um, I said to make sure your, your gut is clean. Um, you then uh, swallow the, the device and again all of the communications at a very high level are, are then beamed back to base. And again that's probably something that you want to be um, uh, as, as Anne described earlier um, uh, secure and, and reliable all the way through. Um, and that's something which we've now proven uh, works and uh, Warwick and Coventry University Hospital are now going to be taking that on as um, as a service that's a still that's going to be um, the lead within NHS England and NHS Scotland are also already rolling out a service that's very similar. They were very excited about that as a way of um, shortening the queues, um, the waiting list for um, endoscopies, um, and meaning that we can do that at a much lower cost, much lower interference in people's lives, which is clearly part of the whole process. That's fantastic to hear both of you. Um, I mean, just to note some of the things you've, you know, reducing isolation in care homes through watching tailored films, um, you know, the educational benefits to primary school children, the ability again for care home residents uh, you know, to go somewhere else virtually looking at, you know, the, the Eden project set up you had, and then the medical, you know, monitoring the swallowing and the very exciting capsule endoscopy. And this is, you know, fantastic to hear of so many use cases uh, actually up and running and with, you know, with real patients and real people. Um, I wondered if I, Tony, if I could ask you, um, we've got a lot of uh, rurality in the east of England where we're based, uh, particularly places like Fenland and parts of Norfolk. We've talked about Liverpool being able to do this because it's got a, a city-enabled 5G network. Um, how much time is it before we're going to be able to do similar things in isolated rural communities, or are we going to have to be a bit more patient? There's definitely a lot going on. There's a lot of investment happening in the National Gigabit Programme that the um, Building Digital UK, which is a um, uh, becoming an arms-length body of, of, um, of DCMS, um, is is driving. That's a five billion um, government investment alongside um, all of the commercial operators to drive fibre to everywhere. So essentially, we're we're targeting um, covering every every virtually every household and, and business in the UK uh, through that program. Um, in mobile terms, there are um, the shared rural network is another big initiative to. Uh, knock out not spots in the mobile coverage by sharing infrastructure between the, the major mobile, uh, mobile operators. Um, so you're seeing um, that as, a, as an ongoing um, uh, ambition, but 5G coverage to the whole of the UK is, is an ambition by 2027, um, so that everybody would have access to a 5G service. But 5G services, I try to say at the beginning, is 
isn't one thing to all, all people in all places. It's a very configurable service. So um, you might see a rural service that's based on perhaps a different kind of spectrum, a 700 megahertz spectrum that goes further, that has probably less capacity than some of the dense urban delivery you might have, but still can provide a very decent service. Perhaps more, it might feel a bit more like your current 4G service, but you'd have it in a lot more places. Um, so that's definitely um, part of the um, part of the agenda. I think the other thing is um, community broadband type services uh, where organizations like ANS get together um, and they provide a service for a community. And we've got some experiments going on uh, which you might um, have heard the term neutral host, uh, where um, an organization gets together and that could be a local council or it could be any other kind of local interest group that wants to put together a service um, they can they can now do that with local access licensing um, and they're working very hard our pilots are working very hard on how they how they integrate that with the the wider national networks um, and i think there's a, an enormous amount happening that means that we should see rural um, the rural uh, communities catching up quite fast and there is a general principle in government policy which is called outside in which is to bring those yeah, so government investment would target those um, excluded or traditionally excluded communities um, in first into the next generation of technology. Thank you. Really interesting. So um, that, I think, provides some measure of reassurance uh, to people living in rural communities. Um, sadly, I think we're sort of starting towards to come to the end of our time. So perhaps a final question for each of you. Uh, Tony, just building on some of the technology aspects how can we address people's potential concerns over the privacy and safety of their data? Because there's going to be lots residing in the cloud, uh, you know, through distributed networks and so on. Should people be worried or, you know, how would you allay some of those concerns, which I'm sure, uh, you know, people will voice over the coming uh, months and years? That's a, that's a big part of DCMS's agenda is to uh, ensure that the UK is the safest place to be online. Um, and therefore, online harms bill is one of the big things on the agenda this year that's going through Parliament at the moment. Um, at the same time, uh, we we invest very heavily in the UK in the security of our networks, and we pay a lot of attention to who provides those networks and the way that they operate to make sure that they are resilient and that they're not available for um, uh, foreign operators or, um, or people who want to use that data for the wrong purposes. But citizens still have a responsibility to look after their own uh, online presence and make sure that they they, they, they do things um, in a sensible and, and um, considered way. Um, but I think that you know, the UK is a good place to do business and a good place to operate online. 5G doesn't, doesn't change any of that. It still, it still means that there is a big commitment from the people who operate those networks um, and from the government to to keep its citizens in a secure and reliable environment. Um, but of course, you know, we, we all have to be vigilant. I think they need to understand why they're doing it. Um, I really don't believe in tech for tech's sake. You've got to know why you're doing it and what that you've got a real problem and that this could actually solve the problem. Because again, sometimes tech solves problems that you quite frankly don't have. The other thing was don't do it in, a, in an international pandemic, but that's, that's <laughs> just the timing that we hit because uh, things got 
things got delayed but uh, no I, I think really once you know why you're doing it there'll be lots of advice around and there's you know there's it's not just us but there are other groups as well who have who can help and learn you know you can learn from our mistakes um and what you do and don't need for your own independent network really as tony said it's not really that that difficult so uh, as a council we own our, our own lamppost so we've been able to put the nodes on the lamppost um, we've got a CCTV fibre network, so we're using the dark fibre, putting it up our lamppost and then putting the nodes across the streets. Um, but there are, you know, it can be a mix and match. Um, you know, we might be looking for satellite. We've got some very large parks in the city um, and obviously the lampposts wouldn't work across there. And so there's all sorts of things you can. It's not, as Tony said, it's not you don't have to just have one thing that fits all of it. I think there is, you know, you can have a network now made of many different ways. And I think that that's, that's quite exciting. Um, and as I say, it then suddenly makes the new technologies within everybody's grasp, which is very important. Thank you very much. Tony, a final word? Yeah, just a, just a plug really for um, uk5g.org uh, for our listeners. Um, I think that you'll find an enormous amount of information on uk5g.org. It's free to join. Um, encourage everybody to go and have a look. You'll see loads of information about ANS and other the other 33 test beds that we've operated around the UK. Thank you. I'm very happy for that as a plug. And I think Anne Liverpool 5G has its own website, doesn't it? Um, which has also got a lot of information. Yeah, about. yeah, yeah. It it, it does. And um, and I've been working with um, UK 5G and with a, a section that will be on the website, which is going to be around place. And that will include um, things that local authorities may use, uh, you know, resources that they may need. Um, so we're, it's going to include things like job descriptions and because leadership is actually quite important in all of this for for this. So there's a whole, you know, there's a whole range of things that you need to consider. Culture eats technology every time. And culture <laughs> eats strategy for breakfast, as they say, isn't it? Uh, very, very important. Yeah. Um, well, this is one of these conversations where we could go on uh, for a lot longer, but I think we, uh, in the interest of time, we need to uh, draw this to a close. Uh, thank you both very much. You know, we've heard that 5G isn't necessarily one particular type of technology. It depends on networks and you know various underpinning technologies. We've heard about lots of different use cases, uh, ranging from health and social care, care more generally, through into education and well-being, and then lots of other applications. You know, which which are explored in other industries, autonomous vehicles, and so on. Um, you know, we've heard about some of the government's exciting plans, uh, partly you know, gigabit in terms of um, you know fixed uh, rollout, but also the different types of mobile networks. Uh, and I think it's a hugely exciting future. So thank you very much to Anne Williams of Liverpool City Council and Tony Scales of DCMS. Thank you to both uh, for giving us your time and providing your insight and perspective. Uh, we've been uh, Eastern AHSN. We'd love to know your thoughts on anything we've discussed in this episode. You can let us know uh, on Twitter and LinkedIn at, at Eastern AHSN. Uh, thanks for listening and um, speak to you again soon. Thanks very much.